I've, I've lived in constant fear for about half a year now because Nina will hide when I get home and then just kind of like pop out and scare me. And so it's, it's not as funny as it sounds because I scream and cry a little bit. Um, and now when I come home, I open the door and I'm like super paranoid, you know, like I'm looking around and checking behind things and it's just, it's not nice. But when I think about maybe something I, I'm really afraid of, maybe my greatest fear actually, besides Nina popping out, is um, I remember my, one of the most um, kind of fearful moments of it. I feel like this is going to fall. Are you guys scared? All right, Justin. Do something for me. It got shorter. All right, anyway, so um, I think one of the moments that I was most afraid was when I was a kid, I read Matthew chapter 25, and I was scared for a while. It's this passage about Jesus looking out, and there's sheep and there are goats, right? The sheep are the people that are real Christians, that are going to God's kingdom, that are part of his family. And the goats are interesting because they're not like the atheist club. They're not the witchcraft people. They're not the people who throw rocks at churches or are part of ISIS. The goats are people who thought they were Christians but are not. Isn't that really scary? The people who, who maybe grew up at a Christian household, went to church for a lot of their lives, maybe even knows the Bible. But Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. I, I think growing up, that was my greatest fear was coming to um, dying, being in front of God, and him saying, I never knew you. I wonder if you've ever shared that fear, maybe reading that verse or that passage or just some doubts in your own heart of whether you've, you would make it, you know, whether you're really saved or you're really Christian. Um, as a pastor, that's, that's become one of my fears as well is, is being in front of you week after week, um, you know, being able to have some good conversations over coffee, and then us getting to heaven, and maybe me even contributing to your confidence in salvation, in your own salvation, but you actually not being saved. When I think about maybe the, the most frightening aspects of life, that probably is one of my top three. Uh, I, I think it's, it's fine if someone just doesn't believe in God or someone hates Jesus. And of course, they're going to be in front of him and he'll say, oh, I never knew you. You never knew me. That's, that's kind of okay. But to be in disillusion, to have grown up in a Christian family, be a PK, read through the Bible or whatnot, and then get to heaven and not feel like you should go in or feel like you, you knew Jesus and him say, I don't really know you, that's frightening. You know, as we look at John chapter 17, Jesus moves from praying with him and the Father, kind of these, this two-person of the Trinity prayer, into praying for his disciples. And I think one of the comforting parts about this passage is that he delineates his disciples from everyone else. In verse uh, 9, he says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So he's making it very clear that he's praying for his disciples here. And in this text, we see him owning his disciples, that they're his. And then we also see some marks of discipleship. What 
allows us to be confident that we're really a child of God, that we're really a Christian. And I think uh, Jesus kind of delineates and marks, has some markers for his disciples. He says in verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. They gave, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. The glory, and glory has come to me through them. Um, Lots of pronouns uh, here, but let me just break it down as simply as I can. I think the first aspect of being a disciple of Jesus, knowing that we're really part of his family, is there's a sense that he's revealed himself to us. That we're not just convinced or persuaded or been taught by someone else that he's real or that we're in relationship with him, but that there's a revelation directly from Jesus to us. And it could be mediated through a pastor or a community, but there's a sense that he's the one revealing himself. He's the one showing us who he is. You know, in Ephesians, uh, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel that has been revealed. That there's a mystery or there's something hidden that God himself is kind of pulling away and showing us, right? So let's imagine behind this is something, anyone know what this is? Any guesses? There's some good guesses, right? Because you can kind of see the form. But Maybe you're uncertain about what's behind this. So this is kind of like the gospel. This is kind of like um, salvation and Jesus. And so what this text is saying is that God himself, it's not us who discovers it. It's not someone else telling us about it. But God himself is like revealing, is pulling back the curtain for us to see him. All right? I'll just do it so you don't wonder the whole time. It's, it's Eric Spare. Of course. I love... Anyways, there's a picture of him on Facebook. And now he's giving them away to friends. And I had a dream about that. So, um, so your knowledge of God, is it something that you feel like God is the one who's pulled back the curtain and you've experienced it from him? That he's revealed it to you. And then there's a second portion in which... We're responding to his revelation. He gives us the word. He shows himself to us. And then there's a response of obedience. There's a a response of stepping forward and knowing him and being in relationship with him. And then there's a response in glorifying him, in lifting him up, in making him known. And in this vibrant relationship, we know we are his disciples. I think sometimes when we, we have we can experience the Christian faith in another way, right? We can just say that we're spiritual. Or we can just get to know Jesus enough so that we have the right answers, but the relationship really isn't present. He's words on a page. He's a character. He's just, um, he's just a story. He's something that my parents believe. 
but it's not this vibrant relationship. Uh, in this next slide is a picture of me and Nina. And we celebrated our third year together last, um, this last August. <laughs> Sorry for the hesitation. August 3rd. Confident. And um, I remember as I was like reflecting on our, our wedding and our, um, our ceremony and our banquet, I was looking at this picture. And you know the first thing that came to mind was I had no idea who she was. I don't know if you've ever looked at your pictures from your marriage date, but don't you feel like that a little bit? Like, it's not like she's changed. It's not like she, um, she like, um, isn't anything like I imagined her to be. But it's just that I know her so much deeper now that this picture feels like just um, like a sketch of her, like an outline. And over the last three years, this outline has filled in with so much detail, which, with so much color. She's, the things I thought I knew about her have become so much deeper that the way I knew her prior seems superficial. It seems like she was just a sketch. And, and I feel like when we really know Jesus, that it's defined by relationships. And that relationship is defined by life and progression and stories and details being filled in. That the same way we sing about his love and grace and the cross five, seven years ago should feel so different than we sing about it now. When we hear the word gospel, it should seem like an empty shell compared to how it's filled in in our lives five years, ten years later, that there should be details and stories and discovery of who God is. I think sometimes when we say we just want to be spiritual or, or we go from being Christian to being agnostic, it's not, it's because we saw Jesus and we're like, man, I think I'd rather make up who he is. You know, I, I feel like I, I want to step back and just be like, you know, that's too much. That's too much detail. That's too much, that's too vivid. And I just kind of want to be spiritual, meaning that I construct God the way I want him to be and I live the life I want to live and I just kind of step away from him. And people have done that through centuries. Jesus, that's, what, that's kind of the primary thing he discovers when he lands on earth, that people who thought they loved God actually didn't. Because when God came and sat with them face to face, they were like, man, I kind of wanted you more distant. I wanted you more vague because this Jesus is too real. There's, there's too much to you. It's, it's kind of like that celebrity maybe that you really liked or that girl across the room, right? And, and you liked them from far away, but when you stepped in closer, when you got to know them more, it's like, oh, I don't really like you. Um, uh, you're kind of a jerk, you know? And sometimes we prefer God like that too. It's kind of distant, um, safer, and more vague so that we can 
we can construct him the way we want to live, the way we want to believe. But a real disciple, a real Christian, is defined by this journey with Jesus where he starts to fill in. And our knowledge and our experience with him isn't stagnant. But there's this continual revealing of who he is, revealing of more of his colors and more of his details and more of his personality. And we fall in love with him more because we know him more. He's not just a Bible story. He's not just um, someone else's story. He's someone that we know. And, and that's how I'd, I would describe Nina, right? We, we set aside time. We've, we've decided to move in together after we got married because we were like, I want to know you. I want stories with you. I want to grow intimate with you. And there's life in our relationship. Is that how we would describe our walk with Jesus? That we're still discovering him. And that the Jesus we knew five years ago, even though it was true, it just kind of feels like an outline now. So my next couple questions, how would you describe your relationship with Jesus? And how are you marking off time in your life to develop that relationship through his word? Right? Because we don't know God outside of his revelation to us through his word. That that's our primary source of truth. And so if we're saying, God, I want to love you and pursue you, it says his disciples obeyed his word. How are we obeying and marking off time to be in God's word? Me and Nina, we, to keep our relationship alive, we have to be intentional with one another, right? We have to set apart dinners. We have to st- set apart date nights. We have to um, go have brunches to like, be together. It's, and if we stop doing that, our relationship would start to die. So how are you carving out time to keep your relationship with Jesus vibrant? How are you carving out time to get to know him through his word? Um, Last week, I pulled up Donna's coffee meets bagel profiles, right, of of this guy who was connected to her. And I remember he doesn't cook that well, right, but he cooks. He likes terribly dis- delicious movies, um, and, and he's a boxer. And there's this sense that as we're reading his profile, um, we would experience him like that. It wouldn't just be words, but it would be how we interacted with him. So as you read God's word, how are you interacting with him? How has, it, how reading, has reading his word been something that we expect to experience? Uh, I was talking to the CM group. And this girl, she's being discipled, and she was challenged just to write everything she knew about God, right? Good, loving, gracious, patient. And then as she wrote down all these words, she was then challenged to share a story about all of these words, a way in which she experienced each one of them. And she just said, you know, I I realized I, I know so much about him, but I've probably only experienced personally about half of these words. 
And it challenged her to go discover Jesus in experience with these other, in these other ways we know, but maybe we've never tasted or held or have stories for. In this next section, Jesus goes on and he prays for his disciples. If you go to the next slide, Mitchell, for me. It says, um, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect, protect them by the power of your name, the, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the, spirit, uh, the scripture would be fulfilled. Next slide. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of, of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be sanctified. Again, there's, it's so dense, and I wish I took like four months to go through this text with you guys. But this first passage section, Jesus is kind of lamenting him leaving the disciples. There's a sadness, I think, to the text where he's saying, I, I was here to protect you guys, my 12, um, but now I'm leaving and he's praying protection over them. And then he prays for them this prayer. He's asking that they would be in the world, but not of it. But also that there's a sense that they're sent into the world, and it's not safe. So there's protection as well, but they're sent. And it's hard to kind of balance all of those different concepts. So this next slide, I have three pictures. And I feel like they're traditionally the way we view the church. Um, the first one is kind of like a fundamentalist perspective um, where we think about protection a lot, maybe in this part, and we just kind of bunker up, right? Uh, a lot of churches, they try to separate themselves from society, you know, don't listen to secular music, don't celebrate Halloween, it's the devil's day, right? Don't dance, don't drink, um, don't wear clothes past 1972, um, you know, like just like this whole isolation mentality. And the, their heart is to protect people. I, I think that maybe for the new Christians, some of it has functional value where we need to remove ourselves and detox a little bit. But Jesus says at the end, he wants to send us in to the world. And so I don't think that that's how we're supposed to experience the entirety of our spiritual life. And then the second picture um, is us kind of being like the world, right? So instead of bunkering up, um, sometimes we can dive into the world so that we take on uh, secular values and, and the vision, secular vision and, and compromise our own identity for other identities. Um, it's this chameleon trying to be a ladybug. Um, which I found super cute. And I, was, I thought it might be real. I, I think, was that with Emily? I was like, Emily, is this real? Is this a real picture? She's like, that's CGI. There's pixels. Um, 
You know, I, I think about the 80s and 90s, and identity was such a big thing in the 80s. Most of you weren't born, probably. But when you, uh, Jonathan and Kristen remembers, <laughs> uh, Jonathan remembers, um, and I think like back in the 80s, you had to be true to your identity. Like if you were a gangster, you would be a gangster seven days out a week. You would dress like a gangster, you would talk like a gangster, you would act like a gangster. If you were a skater, you had your skateboard all the time, you wore vans, you know, or sketchers, and you dressed like a skater, you had like a chain, you know, stuff like that. If you were a baller, you would just be a baller, right? And then as we go into like the 90s and the t- 2000s, there's not that sense of owning an identity anymore. Probably the era that you guys grew up in, you could kind of be a baller one day and then like a hip-hop guy, urban, you know, dress urban another day and then go preppy on Fridays. And there wasn't this ownership of an identity. And I think that in our Christian culture, it's kind of the same way. You know, we can take on several identities and our identity as a Christian is just one of them. And sometimes we put down that identity to take up another one. But I think a powerful concept Jesus demonstrates in his life and is calling us to demonstrate isn't, he doesn't bunker up, right? He hangs out with the gangsters and the sinners and the prostitutes. But also he doesn't compromise. He doesn't become one of them. He lives among them as someone who is foreign, maybe as an ambassador or a diplomat. Um, my last church, it was called Ambassador Church, and I, would, I felt like it was such an old name, you know. But, but the concept is, is really profound that this person, even though he resides in a foreign country, his allegiance is to the king or to the government he's from. And he's representing that that kingdom as a foreigner. He resides in this country, but he's saying my loyalties, my values, my vision, my alignment is actually for this king. And I'm among these other people. Uh, I'm with them. I, I, but really, I'm building bridges so that they can be part of another kingdom. This next, um, I really kind of like this. We did this for like two years ago. It was cool. You know, it kind of faded out. But really, really awesome concept, repping the king. What does it look like for us um, to be ambassadors in this other kingdom? What does it look like to have another alliance, another allegiance for another kingdom and be foreigners here? Um, to be immigrants here, to be representatives here. I think about the kingdom culture that we've been able to create as we gather, right? And that's, that's what church is and should be. It's this gathering of all of these ambassadors that we come together and here in this space, we create another culture. We start living out God's kingdom values. We remind each other of his kingdom vision, of the mission that he had when the earth began to now. And and, and we live in that culture here. And we say, hey, let's forgive each other. You know, this last week, a brother and sister, they just sat down and and talked things out and and forgave each other. 
That's a kingdom value. We want to be a community where we are inclusive. And someone can walk in for two weeks and feel like family. That's, that's amazing. That you don't have to earn your way up. You don't have to dress a certain way or act a certain way. That you just get to be family right off the bat. That there's this authenticity where we say, man, like, God loves us unconditionally. Let's try to do that for each other and just really love and care for each other's soul and have some real conversations and get to know each other beyond like the Facebook profile picture, right? Beyond um, our presentation that we can hear each other's stories and really care. These are some phenomenal kingdom values. We're saying, man, we want to live we remind each other that this life isn't just about the best cars and the biggest bank accounts and the, the titles. It's about Jesus. That this life doesn't stop with all of our toys at 50, but it goes on and there's an eternity that we get to save up for. So we come together and we're building a, a kingdom here. We're saying we're ambassadors and as we gather, there's a kingdom that is ruling and forming and a culture that's being generated that is different from the rest of the world that we reside in because Jesus rules in this community, right? And in so many communities around Fullerton where people come together and worship him, they get to live that out. And then as ambassadors, we take that to the places that we work. We take that to our families. We take that, that, that to communities. And so, you know, I've been playing volleyball, Adam and uh, Kim and... and um, I need come, and they come to Renew now as well. Uh, Kim's just visiting, no pressure, Kim. And, um, you know, in volleyball, it's like one of the most exclusive sports. If you play with good volleyball players, they totally judge you. And some of them will just be like, sorry, you can't play with us, because you're really dependent on each other. In basketball, if you have, like, two bad players, but you got, like, you know, Anthony Davis, you're just going to dominate. It doesn't matter. But in volleyball, you can have a professional volleyball player and five crappy players, and, he'll, and that team will lose against, like, four mediocre guys, right? So anyways, um, how do we bring kingdom values to, like, the volleyball court? Well, you know, Kim's just learning how to play. <laughs> and so me and Adam were like, hey, come on our team, right? And then she tries to set for us, and then we're, like, tracking the ball. It's like, anywhere here, Kim, I will hit it, right? And so in other, maybe in other groups, um, you're trying to earn your way into the group. But now we're trying to bring some of God's kingdom into our group where it's like, you don't have to be good enough to play. We just want you in. And then there's other people that I'm not as nice to, and I'm like, man, I hope he's not on my team. But that's not like a good kingdom value, right? I should be like, um, I should be like, man, like a kingdom value is inclusion. A kingdom value is you don't have to earn it. A kingdom value is you just get to come as you are, and we, we want you to be part of God's family. A kingdom value is you reaching down to your intern who will be gone in six months, but you're investing in him. You're investing in her. A kingdom value is you're with your friends and that one guy who wants to hang out with you but, no one, but everyone else finds him annoying, you're like, hey, come on in. I'm gonna vouch for you. A kingdom value is that when two people in your, in your, in your clique is like fighting, you're trying to make peace. 
and you're trying to talk well of them. So we come together as God's kingdom and we build a culture here, but then when we leave, we're ambassadors and we try to build cultures in other places. And some people will love it. Some people will be all about it and they've been looking for it. And some people won't want that at all because it, it's directly against what they're about. But it's okay because you never belong to that group anyways. You're a part of another kingdom. And some people will be like, man, I'm attracted to that. I want that too. What is the group, what is the king that you serve? And then we bring them to this other community where we could point them to Jesus. I love this word gospel because it comes from a Roman idea. You know, the Roman Empire at, in the biblical times, they were taking over the known world. No one can stand against them. They were just dominating every, every city, every country. They would just roll past them. And after they rolled past a new army, a new territory, this guy would carry the gospel to that area. He would run in with the good news that now Caesar is your king. Now you're going to have rights. You're going to be educated. There's going to be justice and prosperity. And they would, these people who carried the gospel of Caesar would run into these territories that they have just conquered and said that there's a new king, there's a new kingdom, and you guys are a part of it. And it's going to be way better than what you had. And we are carriers of the gospel. We are people who go to our neighborhoods, go to our volleyball courts, go to our jobs, and we say, there's another kingdom, and let me give you a glimpse of what this looks like. Let me sit down and have some authentic conversation. You know, I hung out with some friends, and if, you know, if you're with um, normal people, like I had a normal people conversation about weather, for 15 minutes. I don't know if you've ever talked about weather, you know, because no one wants to go deep, right? No one wants to like have real conversations. So we just talked about weather 15 straight minutes, like on a timer about weather. And, and it was an interesting day. It was kind of humid. There was a little bit of clouds. I get that, right? But 15 minutes. And I said, you know, but I want to be a barrier of, 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 of uh, kingdom values. So I started initiating other conversation about life, about um, family, about passions. And these are conversations that don't really happen that often. Well, why did you want to go into nursing, you know? And I, I remember sitting there, and people have known each other for years, but they're listening in like, oh, I've never known that about you because we just talk about weather for 15 minutes at a time. Um, and, and there's that kingdom being brought into another space. My prayer for our church is that we would have a kingdom culture, um, that we would look like God's kingdom on earth as a community, and that we would go out together, that we would build God's kingdom in the places that we reside, and we would invite people into his kingdom. We have an amazing community. Uh, when, I, when we celebrated our banquet, I was just surprised, and I blasted this all over Facebook, about how many people serve this church. But I think what really kind of opened my heart even more was how many people love this community. That there's so many people in this room ha who have said, this is our home, this is our family, I love the people here. 
And you guys have made this a phenomenal place to be a part of. And I just think, I just feel like if people can be a part of what we're doing, not just on Sundays, but, you know, pumpkin carvings and Bolu, of course, overplayed. Uh, go to Green Bliss. It's better coffee. Um, and and uh, Walking Dead and basketball. If, if they can taste that, if there's a place that we're already being that kingdom culture, but we're bringing other people in, I feel like that would make such, they would be able to taste and 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 experience God's kingdom and want to meet the king, want to meet the Jesus who has created this culture, who we're all in love with, you know? Like being in love with Jesus, having stories, knowing him. When you know someone and you love someone, you want to make them know. And I think that's another marker of a disciple that we glorify Jesus by saying, hey, I want other people to meet him, right? If you, if you have kids and you love your kids, don't you want other people to like know how silly they are or how smart they are or how cute they are? That's why you dress them up in a dinosaur and put them on Facebook, right? Because you want other people to love them. Or if you, or if you have like the best food of your life, you're taking Instagram pictures. And if you are in love with Jesus, you want people to meet him. Um, so... I'm going to pray for us, and I would love for us just to kind of talk and, wait, let's see what time it is. I would love for us just to go right into worship. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, 38. Yeah, maybe we have some time. Okay. Uh, what's our questions, Mitchell? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, okay, yeah, let's do that. Uh, we'll have like five minutes. But yeah, do you feel like you have more of a bunker mentality where you just kind of withdraw and you just get super churched, you know, like all day? Or are you more, or do you struggle with being a chameleon? And I think we all kind of like veer towards one another. And then as God's called us to be an ambassador, how can we be an ambassador to the places that we are? And, uh, you know, for some of us, maybe we're not Christian and we're just kind of trying to learn and, and experience this community and and trying to learn about this king. And I just kind of want you to share about that, you know, what, what you learned today and what your thoughts on, on your own spiritual journey has been. So I'll pray for us. We'll walk into these questions with the same people we talked to. We'll take communion. We'll have worship together. Father, thank you so much for our time. Um, thank you for your prayer for us, um, your prayer of protection over our lives so that we don't compromise. Your prayer for us to be sent out so we don't bunker up. Um, your example of being an ambassador, of being about another kingdom and inviting other people into it, inviting us into it. Um, God, I pray that we would have our identity in you. That we would remember that we are foreigners here, but we are also rep representing the king. So teach us how to do that, God. Teach us how to build a kingdom culture in the, place, the places that we reside. Teach us how to build it together through this community. And I pray most of all, Lord, that you allow us to fall in love with you and know you. Um, I think it's easy just to get caught up in community and, and not really 
um, and to have that be the idol and not really pursue the king, not really pursue Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that today there would also be this, this other examination of whether our, our walk with you is real, whether our relationship with you is growing, whether we can look back year after year and say that, man, you're, you're more real. Your love is deeper. Your grace is wider. And here's some stories about how we've walked together. I, I pray for that, God, that when we get to heaven, when we die, we know that you know us and we know that we know you too because we're best friends and, and our life is littered with all of these experiences, all of these moments, um, all of these stories of love with you. In Jesus' name, amen.